I uh, promised to get to that passage that Dave read real quickly, but I have a few things to say before we get into the passage. There's one person I know for sure is glad that I'm preaching here this morning. Not particularly me, but somebody beside her daddy. Today's Elizabeth's birthday, and she gets to sit in church beside her daddy. You know how precious that is? Because she doesn't see that. She only sees the front of him on Sunday mornings, right? I was telling Pastor Dave before the service that uh, some of the fondest memories I have is growing up in a church in Fort Mill, and uh, the doxology would be sung, and I would be sitting in a pew with my dad. And mom, more dad than mom. Mom was uh, was a lady that, uh, she said, I'll stay home and cook for you guys while you go to church. Now, she came to church a lot, but not as much as my dad did. My mom was 72 years old before she came to Christ. Sort of rare, I think. Uh, for a long time, she'd gone to church, and she told me one day, she said, son, I had no idea what going to church was about until she, until she came to Christ. Um, Jonathan Edwards, one of the great theologians, many say the greatest theologian that America ever produced, lived uh, in a day of uh, long ago, 1703. He was born and went to be with the Lord in 1758. In uh, John Piper's book, Reading the Bible Supernaturally, he made a quote by uh, Jonathan Edwards I thought that was just worth remembering. And uh, I think all of us uh, come to the Scriptures when we first become believers. We got all kinds of ideas and preconceived ideas and so forth. But if we just let the Bible speak for itself, it can clear up a whole lot of bad theology. Jonathan Edwards said this. He said, if God wore a coat, if God wore a coat, and the corner of one of his pockets would be the universe, it would be about the size of a peanut that would take up space in his pocket. You see, this God that we serve is not like us. You and I are forever the created beings. God is forever the eternal creator. In this passage of Scripture, as we look at Ephesians 5, a great expositor of another generation, Alexander McLaren, said that this is the sum of all duty. You and I are to be imitators of God. Martin Lloyd-Jones said about this passage, It's Paul's supreme argument, the highest level of all in doctrine and practice. It's the ultimate ideal. Look at this word again. We are to be imitators. It's taken from a word that means to mimic. We're to mimic God. Wait a minute. We look at the first verse in the Bible, and it says in the beginning, God created heavens and the earth. So there are obviously communicable 
attributes and non-communicable attributes that God has. Exactly what is Paul getting at when he says we are to be imitators? I will develop this, but first a little background has to be given. Uh, first of all, God is omnipresent. That's non-communicable. Without spending any time on that, we know we can only be at one place in one time. I can't be here and in the first pew at the same time. And yet the scripture teaches that this God is omnipresent. Is this the only place? The scripture tells us that Christ in me, the hope of glory. Am I the only Christian that the Holy Spirit is resident in? Of course not. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit's in your life. In this gathering this morning, in this worship hour, dedicated to Jesus Christ, is this the only place in Rock Hill that God is present? I certainly hope not. I certainly would want to think that in other worship services this morning that God is present there in word and in deed. So, what about this? God's omnipotent, which means he's all-powerful. Exactly how powerful is God? Well, he's so powerful that he created the universe out of nothing. Theologians say it's the term ex nihilo. He created the neutrons and protons and all the atomic structure out of nothing. He didn't have this little bit and this little bit and over here and he joined it together. No, he created out of nothing. Uh, he's omniscient. He knows everything. He knows the hairs on your head. You say, who cares? Maybe nobody does. But it's just to let you know that he's aware of your life. He knows when two or three fall out or when another follicle produces another one. He knows when the sparrow falls. He knows your thoughts. He knows the intents of your heart even before you even think them. He's all-powerful. Did you know that God can never learn anything? How can a God who knows everything all of a sudden one day learn something? He knows the end from the beginning. He's self-existent. He answers to no one. <laughs> There's not a person on this planet. God never formed the committee and said, how do you think we should pull this off? God answers to no one. He's self-sufficient. He has no needs. No needs. Have you ever heard this, that, oh, God created man because he was lonely, hogwash? God doesn't need me. God doesn't need you. God needs nothing. He is self-sufficient. Just think what you do need. From the moment of conception, you are given nourishment by your mother. When you're born, there's nothing on the planet, no creation on the planet is helpless as a little newborn baby. You haven't seen a colt born within minutes. They're walking, stretching their legs, and running laps. We do well if we can do it in a year or so. And then food. We need food all the time. I've had breakfast. 
It's 20 minutes to 12. Probably we'll eat again someday. Or sometimes a day, I should say. We have to. So many needs. From cradle to grave, we have needs. He's eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. You and I don't have an end, but we obviously had a beginning. But there will never be a time when we never are again. If you're a Christian, you'll be changed in a moment, a twinkling of an eye. The corruption will put on incorruption. But the reality is we all change, do we not? I didn't used to always look like a 70-odd-year-old man. I used to be 12, 14, 20, 30, 40. And those years, as I look back, it's like somebody got a remote and just hit fast forward. Anybody that's north of 70 or 60 knows what I'm talking about. Does it seem like it was that long ago when you were in high school? Does it seem like it? No, of course it doesn't. Let me hasten. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. You and I were fickle. Our attitudes change. Our uh, appearance changes. We change all the time. God has revealed himself to us in the Old Testament. The Bible tells us in Hebrews. Uh, he spoke to the prophets in old times. Sometimes there were visions and dreams. Today he's spoken to us by his Son. The eternal Son, at conception by the eternal Holy Spirit, was given a human body that uh, matured in the womb of the Virgin Mary. And at no point did Jesus ever become the eternal Son. He was always the eternal Son. How can eternal God have a beginning? Our minds can't comprehend that. See how small we are? How can we comprehend? If I try to explain to a five-year-old that God had no beginning, they can't understand that. You can take the greatest mind in the world with the highest IQ in the world, and he can't understand it either. It's beyond us. We can't... Listen, folks, God is incomprehensible, but he's knowable. And he's knowable in the Scriptures, and he's knowable in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's giving mankind... None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Do you get the point? There's no exceptions here. 
doesn't matter your nationality, doesn't matter your upbringing, doesn't matter your intelligence level or any of that. If you're a human, this applies to you. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat's an open grave, and they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. As I said, we have inherited Adam's nature. In this book, in this scripture, we are told that God himself began three institutions. And I hesitate to call the church uh, an institution, but it is in one sense, but in another sense, it's a living organism. What is the church? The church is Pastor Day. The church is uh, Lindsay. The church is L.C. It's Bobby and his family. It's me. It's those of us who are born again. It's not the stained glass windows. We know that. It's not the carpet. It's not a building. It's not a denomination. It's a person. And that's who the church is. So God started government. All our government shows us in 2017 is no matter how well we started out, I think the United States started out far and above almost what anybody else ever has. But look what we are in now, practical anarchy. You know what it shows me? It just shows one simple thing, that man, mankind is not able to govern himself. He can't do it. He can't govern himself. We need someone higher than I Higher than us, we need a higher authority to govern our lives, and then we look at the, we look at the church. <laughs> there was a time when a pastor would hold this book up and say, this is the Bible, this is the Word of God. And people believe that. Well, we are far beyond that now. Now conferences have to be held to determine exactly what the Bible is. Is it the Word of God? Is it infallible? Is it inerrant? Is it plenary, which means in whole in its entirety? The Scripture tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God. You know what all means? Let me give you a quick lesson on what the word all means. You probably have heard this. All means all, and that's all all means. This scripture that Paul wrote, that God had him write in Ephesians uh, 4.32 and 5.1 and 2, is as applicable to me as if he had written it with pen and ink and handed it to me, and it's not dried yet. You have to blow it so the ink will be dry. That's how relevant the Word of God is to you and how relevant it is to me. You see what God, uh, how his home is trashed? My wife works at a four-year-old school here in town. She visited 40 families, 40 families of the children that will be in her, in her uh, two classes. Out of 40 families, four, four had the same mom, same dad that had these children. Four out of 40, and one of those 
was a cultic member. So in our little small world, from one end of Main Street to town, there's two classes with 40 kids, and they either have different moms or dads or have no moms or dads at all. Now, you take that and multiply it by the whole country, and you see why there's some statistics I heard the other day make sense. That they thought for a long time it was the college professors that were pulling young people away from the faith, and they go, no, 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 no. Uh-uh, it's lost a long time before that. Then they thought it was the high school teachers. Maybe the middle school teachers, and they go, no, now, now we determine something that we already know and have known, known for a long time. You know where the breakup starts? Right in that smallest unit that God has established, the home. The mom and the dad have the responsibility to teach and train those children. And if they don't, chances are it won't get done. I'm going to fast forward just a touch here and look at our text. I want us to look at the first thing. Look at uh, uh, verse 32 of Ephesians. It says, be kind to one another. And my mother used to use this term a lot. I don't know if it's something that older people use now or what. But she would talk about, you know, so-and-so. Well, they seem kind of harsh on the outside, but they're really a tender-hearted person. And boy, that says everything about a person. Is your heart hard and calloused and you're, you're bucked up and I'm, I'm doing it my way and have a teachable spirit, what's Paul, what Paul is saying. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. You know that litany I just read in Romans chapter three about the bad condition of man? But look, Everyone, I've never seen a directory of Park Baptist Church. I hope to real soon. But I can tell you, I know one thing about every member of the church is that every person on that role is a sinner. No exceptions. If you're not a sinner, you don't need a Savior. We realize we need a Savior. Oh, and do we need Him desperately. And so the gospel is the most wonderful news in the world to a person sitting in Romans chapter 3 about we're evil and we're wicked and we're estranged from God. And the gospel says, in Christ, we are forgiven. Forgiven. I have committed a lifetime of sins against this holy God and I have been forgiven. And since God has forgiven me, God tells me to behave that way towards you. Whatever you, you cannot possibly do one thing to me that I haven't committed a billion times more been an offense to God. My whole life was an offense to God until I was about 30 years old. And at 30 years old, I came to the realization someone shared Christ with me, shared the Bible with me. And as I've shared with David, and maybe someday I'll share it with you in detail. But I was discipled in a place where I don't want to go back, where you don't want to go. Uh, but the scripture was open to me and I saw who I was. And he told me what the remedy for my life was. And there's only one remedy and there's only one way and that's obviously the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God had a plan with Abraham 
And Abraham started the nation of Israel, and Israel was to be a, a, a witness nation to the world. But instead of being a witness nation, what happened to them? They became proud and boastful. And a Jewish man used to pray every morning, thank you, God, I'm not a Gentile. They didn't want a thing to do with the Gentile. You were beneath them. So by the time the Lord Jesus Christ came, they hated and despised him. They hated him so much that they hung him on a cross. And you say, who, who's responsible for hanging Jesus on a cross? I would say to you, it was the government. The Romans did it. Because the Jews didn't have the uh, authority for capital punishment. The Jewish leaders were responsible. They trumped up charges and lies about him. The only person that was ever, ever executed totally and 100% with no sin in his life. Who else put him on the cross? You did and I did. I love another quote by Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards said, The only thing that you and I have to contribute to our salvation is the cross that made it necessary. You know who else put him on the cross? God the Father. The Bible says it pleased God to bruise him. It pleased the Father to bruise the Son because he knew that was the plan. You see, there was no, when Israel, when the old system, when Judaism became encrusted with that which was wrong, then the nation was changed over to the church. The Bible tells us that we are a holy people, a royal priesthood. But Hebrews 11 tells us that God's not finished with the Jews. He's just set them aside until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. But that wasn't plan B. <laughs> the cross wasn't plan B, folks. Don't think that was just thrown out there. What does the Bible tell us? In the fullness of time, he came. Scripture tells us that Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. Before he ever created the universe, it was determined by the eternal God that the eternal Son would come and die for his creation. And for those who put their faith and trust in him, there is an eternal life. So it's a forgiving love. That's the, that's the main point. In loving, we can imitate God. And since God has forgiven us of a lifetime of sins, as I said, we dare not forgive. We dare not withhold forgiveness from anyone else. Scribes and Pharisees thought they didn't need forgiveness. They didn't need a Savior. There's people today that feel the same way. I'm okay. I'm good in myself. I don't need anybody. All of us need a Savior. And as I said, have you ever seen yourself as guilty of high treason? It's impossible for anyone to treat us as badly as we have treated God. Okay, second point. Not only is it a forgiving love, it is a giving love. He prepared a place. Look what all God's given us. Just think about this just for a minute or two. What God has given us. He, he gave Adam and Eve a perfect environment to live in. And though that environment has been total, been horribly marred since Genesis 3, you and I still enjoy today. 
We can go to some places of this world and say, even though it's under a curse, we look and we say, look at the beauty of the mountains or the, some people love the beach or, uh, or the Hawaiian Islands or whatever place it is that you think is just beautiful. Remember this, it's under a curse. And yet we still enjoy some of those things. God has given us the correct balance of the gases in the atmosphere to breathe. He's given us, I read an article once about the soil, about how thin soil is. Yet in that soil, it provides nutrients for our food. We have rain, we have sun to warm the plants for them to grow. He has given us animals. <laughs> I'm not going to start a war here. But in the Bible... Animals were for two purposes, food and work. So and so said, I'll work like a horse today. Well, not really. Might have worked hard. Uh, I'm just a messenger. Don't shoot me on this one. But dogs in the Bible were mongrels. We've made them members of the family. And... Uh, Cats and dogs and that kind of thing. Uh, let me hasten here while I'm still living. Uh, why don't we Why don't we give ourselves to other people the way the Lord gave Himself to us? Talk about giving. Let, let me just give you some partial scriptures of what God gave. As I said, He gives us breath, He gives us food, He gives us family. All the things. We could spend years just talking about things we're thankful for. But He did far more than give us stuff. He gave us Himself. He gave us Himself. Let me read just a few verses of that. John 3.16, one of the first verses I think I ever uh, memorized. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. 1 John 4.10, this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. Propitiation means satisfaction. That's all it means. It means when the Son died on the cross, the Father was satisfied with that. That was the payment. The debt was paid. And Satan thought he won. But three days later, he rose from the dead, uh, was here for 40 days, presenting himself with many infallible proofs. Then he ascended and was enthroned back in heaven. The Holy Spirit came, and ten days after that, on 120 people, and there's probably that many people here this morning. Not the same 120, but that's when the church began. And God in His wisdom has given us the church. And even though the church has been corrupted, and even though people have corrupted the Word, God still raises up young men like Pastor David, who will say the same things that I've been saying. That Jesus Christ is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. He knows no other. This Bible, we can rest upon the Scriptures. It is the solid rock of foundation. Men have shed their blood to give me what I have and a little leather cover here. They have shed their blood and died and given themselves that we could have God's written Word that we could digest it, internalize it, that we could have this forgiving love and this uh, giving love. Romans 5, 8, But God shares His love with us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Isn't that amazing? We don't clean our life up. Lord, I've gotten rid of all of these sins. Now, would you please come into my life? No, he saves us while we were yet sinners. Galatians 2.20, as I've been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. <laughs> Folks, each person here this morning that is a Christian, Jesus Christ died for you. If you're here this morning and you are not a Christian, as Pastor Dave says, welcome to the service. I pray you'll continue to come and come back often. I have no idea who is a Christian and who isn't. But I do know this. The Bible teaches something that I'm going to end this message with in prayer. And it applies to, to all of us. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this. That someone lay down his life for his friend, and you are my friends if you do what I command. And if John 3.16 was the first verse I learned, I think uh, my dear friend Jim Tucker taught me the next one. Jim Tucker, highway patrolman that has been with the Lord now for, for uh, a lot of years, said this. For by grace, Gary... You've been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing. It's the gift of God. At Christmas, what do we do at Christmas? Out of our love and out of our care for those around us, our children, grandchildren, husband, wife, relatives, friends, we give them a token something. Whatever, if somebody were to give you a million dollars, it would be a token. What if God would have said to us, I'm going to make sure you're healthy, wealthy, and wise for uh, uh, 400 years. I heard someone say once, and I think it's true, if the first Adam was still alive today and God came to him and said, Adam, today's the day. You have to die. Lord, can you wait a little bit? Now, how long has it been since Adam? I have no clue, but it's been a while. Do you realize this whole globe changes about every hundred years? A little baby that you hold in your arms, 100 years from now, probably won't still be with us. If you do, if you live that old, you get your name in the paper. So anyway, let me finish that verse. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one may boast. Here's God's gift. <clears throat> we give our token gifts. And God is the great gift giver. Great gift giver. What does He give? What about eternal life? We're not talking about some fanciful, you know, I'm 73 and I can drink this potion and all of a sudden I'm 30 again. And I got to go through all this again? No, thank you. No, thank you. God gives us eternal life. Not only does He give us a eternal life, and we go from a slave to Satan to we can be a slave to Christ. We can live for Him and serve Him. That's not enough for Him. You know what else is involved in that gift? He could just say, okay, you're my friends and we're going to heaven and you can be with me forever as a friend. He goes beyond that. He adopts us. And now calls us children. 
I am his child. A dumb kid that grew up in Fort Mill that I would say on the IQ level I would be on the low end of average personally knows the God of the universe. Not only do I know him, but I know he's my father. He's your father. You that are Christians are my brothers and sisters. Isn't that a wonderful, wonderful thing? I want to look at the last thing that we have here. Not only is it a forgiving love and a giving love, it's a living love. Well, what does this living love look like? Uh, it's practical and it's active. And I think it tells us, if we, in my Bible, you just flip a page back and it's found in Ephesians 4, 25. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Don't give him a beachhead. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. And then he concludes, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You see, it's a living, it's a living love. It's an eternal love. And so I wouldn't have to try to come up with something on my own. I think the end of this message is absolutely, you cannot improve upon the way the Apostle Paul uh, ended it. If we'll look at Romans chapter 8, and just let these words speak to your heart. Romans chapter 8, and I will be, and I will be through. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Should tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And look what he says in verse 37. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. There's that phrase again, and I love this next prepositional phrase, in Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, as long as Jesus Christ is alive, you and I are alive. We have that eternal life, and obviously we have it forever. Let us pray. Father, we think highly of this verse that I'm going to end this message with, where the Lord simply says this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, 
and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, allowing me to the best of my ability to honor you in your word this morning. I pray to your God that you would speak to each one of us, that we would see what a forgiving, giving, and living faith, living love that we can have in Jesus Christ. We ask these things in your name. Amen.